How's everybody? Really good to be back. If you're online this morning and joining us, we want to say welcome. We're grateful that you're here this morning. If you're new here this morning or online, we're really thankful that you've come, that you chose to come and worship with us. Um, if you're looking for a church home, we really hope you might find one here with us. And I want to say thanks for all the prayers for myself and my family as we recovered from COVID-19. Um, it was, we, we did fine, and your prayers were part of that. So we're grateful and thankful for that. So it's awesome for me to be back and to be in the middle of everybody again. For the last two weeks, I actually did online church, and I watched in my underwear, I mean, my pajamas, I mean. I'm sorry. Um, I was in my pajamas. But it was, uh, it, it was a great, it, it, no, you know what? It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as being here. And again, um, not to shame anybody into coming. And if you're not comfortable, that's why we're streaming. But I want to continue to emphasize the idea that our streaming service is, is awesome and it's a great tool, but that's what it is. Church is not just taking in information. Church is relational, and it's about the relationships that we develop as we come together and we corporately come together to glorify God in his house, encourage one another, hear a, hopefully an encouraging message, and then we go back out the door and we be the church in the community that we live in. So the big uh, question here, the big topic today is the idea of truth. And we have been going through a series where we've been talking just about cultural issues, things in our culture that, uh, that, that the church really has to begin to have some dialogue. We've got to begin to, to talk about things that are going on in our culture. We have to have a voice in our culture, and we have to, uh, we have to first sometimes even just recognize and settle into what is true and what is truth. We, we talked a few weeks ago about social media and the reality of of the struggle with truth that's there, that, that truth really isn't um, necessarily something that's coming into our feeds, right, online, and, and that fake news is spreading about six times faster than real news. As a matter of fact, we even might question the idea of, is there much real news that's going on out there today? Because about everything has a political bent and slant to it. Everything is politicized this day. Everything is leaning to the left or to the right. And the idea of objective journalism just is a, is a struggle. So we, we live in a place where we're struggling and we're trying to ask this thing, what is truth? Pilate asked the very same question. And he asked this very same question of Jesus. Jesus told him why he had come into this world even, and, and that it was to testify to this very thing, to truth. I want us to get a hold of this idea and understand that Jesus did not come to tell you about truth. Jesus is the very embodiment of truth itself. Jesus is the one who is transcending all of the temporal reality that we live in today. He is not his 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 position is secure. His victory is done. It's over with. There, there is no danger in the fact that, that, he, that he could lose or that the devil is going to win in this thing. Truth will prevail. And Pilate stood in the very presence of truth and asked the question, what is truth? And then walked away before he heard the answer. Interesting thing. So truth, how did we get to this spot that we're at today? Because truth is really at issue. 
And so we're going to do not justice to this, but kind of look. So pre-modern times or, or back before the modern era, basically the pre-modern times looked like this. It says, because God put it there, and that's the way it's always been. So the emphasis in the pre-modern era was on faith and religion and the idea that, that God had done what God had done. His, his rule was complete. His law was perfect. And, and this was just the way it was. The problem in the pre-modern era is when you take any kind of a power angle or a power position and you put sinful men and you give them the ability to wield power apart from accountability, uh, you, you can end up with, with things going pretty well awry. And so the religious systems even of the day really began to be oppressive and began to be controlling on people. And eventually we entered into then, after the Enlightenment, into the modern era. And the modern era was more this idea of, of humanism. It was the idea of reliance on science and technology, believing those things were absolute and true and that those things were going to deliver humanity from the struggle that we faced. That these were, that, that basically, that, um, that reason and science had trumped faith and religion, and we had entered into a new era, and that era was going to be the answer to our problems. It was going to be the modern era. The problem with that was a couple of world wars later, and a century in which more life had been lost to bloodshed than had been the entire, you know, in comparison to the entire history before that, um, people began to realize that maybe we weren't necessarily the answer. And, and, and so then we entered into this place that we're kind of at now, which is called the postmodern era. And the postmodern era begins to, to do a lot of things. As a matter of fact, you can see that the modern era had this direction. It had a belief. It had a direction that it was going. And postmodernism just starts to blend into this whole thing of kind of, it doesn't make sense. It begins to say that there is no truth. There is no objective truth. That all truth is relative. So your truth is your truth, and yours is yours, and mine is mine. And somehow in the midst of that, these are all true. And that truth is never objective or something that's it's all subjective. It's all according to feelings. It's all according to our experience. It's according to how we define it. Postmodernism began to say that words have no point of reference, that there's no power in words, there's no reality in words, and that they can be twisted to mean whatever you would like them to mean. That there's no laws of logic. Um, it debunked meaning and objective identity. When we start to talk about these things, and, and we're going to try to deal with some of these cultural issues that are coming up, and I want to tell you how I want to do that. I want to do that in the utmost respect and with the utmost grace and hopefully kindness in the midst of that. But we are going to, we're going to talk about life, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about life. We're going to talk about sexuality and what the Bible talks about sexuality. But we're going to begin by looking at the real thing. We're going to begin by looking at marriage. And we're going to begin by looking at what God has designed and why he has designed it and these things, because identity is at the core of what we're talking about. See, if there's no truth, then there's no identity. If there's no identity, there's no purpose. If there's no purpose, there's no meaning in this life. And everything begins to kind of just implode into this place of, of, of fluidity. And everything becomes fluid. Gender becomes fluid. Sexuality becomes fluid. Our culture becomes fluid. Everything begins to be what we define it to be. And then it's a tr it begins to struggle. It rejects all truth, even natural law. It denies that there's an overarching story 
And, and we start to get things like, like it shows up in our culture, like even our art. It's, it's the place where abstract art came into being. When you look at art and you're like, ah, some of those things where it's just, you're like, I don't really get that. It's because you're not supposed to get it. It's because it's a statement by the artist that says that there is no reference to reality. Therefore, my art is just this random, crazy stuff that I just create it to be. You see, art used to have an object of reality that it tried to emulate. Art used to tell a story, but postmodernism believes that there's no story to be told. Therefore, our art goes to this place of kind of chaos as well. Uh, but truth matters. As a matter of fact, truth is so important in my life and in your life that what you do will proceed out of what you believe, and what you believe will be your source and your place of truth. See, it matters what we believe. And what we begin to call truth or not truth, it matters. Because it takes not just the individual somewhere, it takes us all somewhere. Michael Foucault, he was a French philosopher. He was a historian of ideas, a social theorist, and a literary critic. He lived from 1926 to 1984. And he said this, he said, if all truth is constructed to gain and maintain power, then destruction is a good thing and the right thing. And isn't that really what we're seeing in our culture today? You see, ultimately, these things or begin to have an outflow, and we see the rioting, and we see the destruction, and we see um, the family, and we see the breakdown of these things. And, and, and what, what starts to become the idea behind the way that people believe that they need to fix it is by tearing it all down. Let's tear it down. Let's redefine it. Let's recreate it into a way that's acceptable to us, and that we believe that somehow that's going to bless us as a people and as a culture. I, I want to read Psalm 2 to you real quick. Psalm 2 says this. It says, why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The, king of the, earth set, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of your, the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise." Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, in Psalm 1 is a, is a response. It's a, it's a response really to Psalm 1, which tells us about righteous living. Psalm 1 begins by, by pronouncing, it's a beatitude that pronounces a blessing, and it says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit or, or walk or stand in the path of sinners or, walk, or sit in the, the, the seat of scoffers. And then it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he delights day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and his leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. 
And then it makes a switch and it says that the wicked are not so. So the Bible itself begins to make this proclamation that says there is truth and then there's deception. And that the world out there, the world apart from Christ, the world apart from God that's trying to find identity, meaning, and purpose is not finding it because they're leaving God out of the equation. So we have a few different ways of understanding this and understanding how law works and how people have thought throughout the ages. And, and there's, again, there's this idea of theonomous, and that means it's governed by God. It's subject to God's authority. As a matter of fact, our founding fathers believe this to be the truth. When we read things that say um, that, that this, we believe that all men are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, right? What they're saying in that is that there's a power greater than us that gives rights to men that cannot be taken by men because they don't come from men. They come from a God. They transcend this world. They're a truth that's bigger than us, and we are subject ourselves to that authority. Therefore, we cannot deny these inalienable rights. We used to believe that. And then there's, a, there's heteronymous and that is the idea of subject to a law or a, st a standard external to itself. So things like communism are, are heteronymous. They, they, they basically begin to define truth for the masses and then distill that truth to them. And then they must all conform to that. And then there's autonomous or having the freedom to govern itself or control its own affairs. And you see, God calls us to, to, to live in, in the middle of this kind of a place to, to understand that we are autonomous in the fact that God has called us as believers to define reality as he has defined reality, to understand it through his lens, to be internally motivated, not externally motivated, to follow God's plan, to follow God's law, to do what God has called us to do, understanding that it is theonomous, that God is the one who is ultimate reality. He's the one who has, has brought it into being. You see, the reality of this thing is as much as our culture wants to live in this place of postmodernism, you can't live there. As a matter of fact, almost everybody who would ascribe to this philosophy of life actually spends most of their time living in reality, truth, right? In other words, people aren't looking, they're not coming up to stop signs, looking that way, seeing a semi coming and going, Hmm. Actually, I feel like that's a child on a tricycle. I have time. I'm going to pull out in front of it and, and make this right turn. No, the reality of what's at stake, the absolute truth is coming at them at 70 miles an hour. They don't pull out in front of it because they believe that it could be something else. You see, this is the nature of truth, and truth is always, always, always exclusive. It's never inclusive. Truth either is or it's not. See, the, and I, I talk about this all the time, but, but gravity is either true or it's not. And if we all went up on the roof of this building and we decided what we believed about gravity and then we stepped off the side of the building, it would not matter what you believed. Your belief would change nothing about the reality or the truth of gravity. You could say, I don't believe in gravity. Try, I think my, my, my atoms vibrated at a different frequency than yours. Um, I wouldn't suggest you step off of the building, but I can Good luck with that. And see, this is how we're approaching life in our culture, is we're approaching life like that we can determine what's real and what's true, and that there are no consequences, there, are, there is no fallout in the midst of this. 
See, re the reality of it is, is that we only turn to postmodern thought when our beliefs are threatened. What, when we want it, how we want it, then we start to say, oh, truth is relative. But as long as the semi's coming and we look at that, we're like, that's really a semi, and I'm really not pulling out in front of that thing. Or gravity is really true. See, truth is God's opinion on any matter. And we didn't get here yesterday. We didn't get here six months ago. We didn't get here 100 years ago. As a matter of fact, we've always been here. Listen to this, Genesis 3, right? So ancient text, I don't know how old it is, but it's thousands of years old, right? And right here in chapter 3, God begins the Bible by saying, I am the foundation of everything. I am the truth. I'm the one who spoke, and it all came into, the, in, in, into being. I'm the creator, and, and, and therefore, I'm the authority in all of these matters. And, and God has been trying to teach us that he is the one that is going to transcend the temporal world that we live in. But listen to this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Listen to that. What does he do? He begins to say, man, God sounds really unreasonable. Wow, is he, is he that like hard line you can't eat of any tree? Wow. Begins to, to throw into doubt the truth of God's word. And then the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He just said, God's a liar. You won't die. For God knows that the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. You see, this thing had, had entered into the thing. We know what's really interesting here is that when God starts to delineate between life and death, he doesn't delineate at the physical level. He does it at the spiritual level. Why? Because that's ultimate reality. That's the place where it really matters. You see, they did not die a physical death at this point. Actually, that didn't even come until God denied them access to the tree of life. Then it was inevitable that they were going to die, right? But at this point, there's a spiritual death that they experience. There's a separation in their relationship with God. There is now a chasm between them and God because of their disobedience. It had nothing to do with the tree. It was a point of obedience. Will we follow God or will we go our own way? And the temptation to define truth for ourselves, to begin to say that we know better than God, that we understand this or we're enlightened now or we get it. See, it's the same old thing. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that drove them to say, guess what? We want to be God. We want to take over the position of God. And we're going we're gonna to do that by going our own way and beginning to define for ourselves. And that's what the Hebrew really means here. It doesn't mean you'll just know and understand. It means you will define what's good and evil. You'll be the one who now says what's good and evil. And in that, there was a brokenness. And what did they do? They sewed some fig leaves together. They recognized the reality of, of their nakedness, their exposure before one another and before God, the reality of sin in their life. And now shame has come in and they try to cover their own shame. Except guess what? They just got a few leaves on. 
And if we were all sitting here with just a few leaves on, there wouldn't be anybody here that felt very covered. We would feel incredibly exposed and exposed before God. And you see, this is what happens. And the next thing that they did is they went and they hid from God. And this is what we do. We go and we hide from the very source of life. And what a profound picture that it says that God came seeking after them, seeking after a relationship with them. And the first question that was ever asked is, where are you? Where are you at? And I would pose that question today. Where are you? Where are you at? Where are you at in your relationship to God? Where are you at in your relationship to the truth? Where are you at in your commitment to Christ and the world around you? Oops, a little quick there. John 8, 44, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He says, you're of the, your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's truth and there's deception. There's truth and there's the lie. And there's a source for both of those things that come our way. We'll get into that a little bit more here in a second. 1 Corinthians 2.14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are super spiritually appraised. Super spiritually appraised. You got to know Jesus. You want to know truth? Truth starts with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. It begins with our relationship, the restoration of our relationship back to God. It's when we hear God's voice saying, where are you at? And then we step out and we say, man, I was naked and I was afraid. And so I was hiding. I was ashamed because of what I had done, because of the decisions that I had made, because what I had determined by, to be truth actually shipwrecked my life. It brought me into a place that brought nothing but regret and struggle and pain. And I hurt people. And despite the perception of myself that I have in my head, there's a reality of the guy who's in the background, in the shadows, and what he's done, and who he's been, and what he's thought, and that's left us in this spot of brokenness. So the first thing that you got to know before you know truth is you got to know Jesus. You've, you've got to go to the truth. You don't just hear about the truth. We commit ourselves to the truth, to Jesus and a relationship with him. First John 4, 6, we are from God. He know, who knows God listens to us, and he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So you have to have the spirit of God inside of you for it to make sense. Anybody have any... I, I, before I was a believer, and, and for you that don't know me, I was 32 years old when I became a Christian, Okay. 20 years ago, I became a believer. I gave my life to Jesus. Before that, I would try to read the Bible. And I would be like, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. What, what shall thou do? And it looks like God is killing everybody in here. I don't get it. I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. But you know what? I gave my life to Jesus. And now when I read all that and I see those, you shall not, you know what I see? I see my freedom. Because what I see is God saying, don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't go down this road. I understand freedom better than you do. I understand what it takes to be free. I'm truth and you're not. Follow me. Do these things. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They don't even know that they're created themselves in the very image of God, right? They're lost. Again, I'm going to continue to say, don't expect lost people not to do lost stuff. Don't expect them to act like Christians. Go love them. You go, go, go present truth in love to them. That is our job, and that is the calling of the church. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. This is the lens I see life through, right here. I got a question about life. This is where I go. And there's, there's all kinds of systems and things out there um, in the world, and, and, and they're, they're, they're not all bad things, but they don't really have the answer. They don't have the answer. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you see the reality of the deception that the Bible is saying, that you live in the middle of a place that's deceived? How are you going to make your way through it? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What's the world tell you about your heart? Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. I can tell you I did that and I got some disastrous results. We don't always, some of the things that we think would be good in our lives don't always bless us. They may please us for a bit of time, but when the bill comes due, we won't find ourselves blessed in a lot of these things. We're supposed to align our heart with Christ and to recognize that our heart comes from a broken place. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 18.37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Are we hearing the voice of Jesus in our lives? And in the Hebrew language, there was no delineation between hearing and doing. This is why Jesus said things like, let him who has ears to hear let him hear, because hearing and doing were the same thing. If you weren't doing, that meant you weren't hearing. And see, we do that too with our kids. What's the first thing you say? Your kid, you tell your kid to do something and they don't do it? What do we say? Did you hear me? Are you listening? Hearing and doing go right together. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the path. I'm the way. I am the direction. When you're looking for a way through life and how to get through life, Jesus says he is the path. He is the way. And that way leads us to the truth. Again, he doesn't come to tell us about truth. He is truth. Why? Because he, Anna, has been telling me all week about the power in the book of Hebrews, the scripture that says that he is qualified by the power of an indestructible life because he won and he's gonna win. 
and he's continuing to win. He's the victorious king, and he is the truth. And no one, nobody, it says, comes to the Father but through him. That's not try telling you that. That's Jesus that says that. This is his words, and this is what he says. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the heart of God? That all men would be saved, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the commission of the truth? of the church is to go out and to proclaim that truth to the world, right? To love well, to pray well, to pray for our leaders, right? And, and sometimes our struggle is that we find some leaders easier to pray for than others, right? And, and we find ourselves really um, struggling in this arena. And I'm going to tell you something that, that I see in a big way that we got to quit is this. We are chasing Christian values and principles, that's what we're setting our lives on right now. We're, we're posting about that, all of our Facebook stuff. I gotta tell you, that's what I'm seeing. So we're chasing values, Christian values, Christian principles. Now those are good things. And I wanna live in the world that has Christian principles and values. And I want my kids to be raised in a world of Christian principles and values. But I'm gonna tell you that principles and values and foisting them on people who aren't internally motivated to follow them is the same thing that the Pharisees tried to do. They took the good religion that God had made it, made for them, and they used it to become more pious and judgmental and foist upon everybody else all of these rules and regulations, and then they became the guards who were watching to make sure that these things were followed. If you wanna live in a world with Christian principles and values, you need to share Jesus. You see, we have forsaken evangelism for politics, and that's not going to work. It is not going to work to try to hold to our Christian values and, and, and just hold to that. If you want to see values in Christianity permeated through our culture, we need more Christians. That looks like God's people not just sharing about political opinions, but about the truth of the embodiment of truth, the person of Jesus who changes everything who comes in, who, who undoes what I used to believe was true and all right and correct and just what everybody did. I can't even believe I used to believe that. Why? Because Jesus changed my life. Not because I'm a good guy. Not because I got it figured out. Not because I'm smart or anything like that. But because Jesus, the truth, came and lived inside of me. And he changed my values and he changed my, uh, the, the core way that I lived and what I thought my identity was and where my values were and where I found purpose and all of those things. And this is what we've got to do. We can't just go out and fight political fights. We've got to go out and fight the bigger overarching spiritual fight. We've got to go make disciples. Jesus did, didn't say go, to make, go make Republicans. <laughs> he said go make disciples. Go make those who follow me. And for his people, he said just follow me. Follow me. What is he saying? He's saying it's about doing. It's not about just hearing. It's not about opening my Bible and reading it in the morning. It's about understanding and living in the reality of the holiness of God and who he is. 
glorifying him in everything about my life, recognizing that he is ultimate reality, that there's nothing bigger than him, there's nothing grander than him, there's nothing that's more important than him, and to begin to set my life and my day to serve him and what he would call us to do. John 8, 31 and 32, this is the verse I believe that God gave me when I got saved. I don't know if you had a verse like that, but our, our, our men's group is going through those things on Friday mornings now, just your kind of a life verse or a favorite verse that you've got. And mine is this one. And it says, if, if you abide in me and in my word, then you will, you, will, you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that word abide here is, is, is uh, if you continue in my word, if you live there, if you make your home there, if you abide there, if you follow me. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. I'm not perfect. Far from it. But I can tell you the difference between my life, the way it used to be and the way it is today. Is used to, I used to set out to sin. That was my desire. That was the objective. That was the direction I was going. That was what was the hope of, of, of the weekend. <laughs> but now I set out not to sin. And in the midst of that, I don't always do the right thing. I fall short. But when I fall short, hopefully I repent, I ask forgiveness, and I move forward again. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4, or 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Ephesians 6, 14 says this, it says, stand firm, therefore. It doesn't tell you to go take ground. It doesn't tell you to charge the hill. It says to stand firm in the ground that's been taken for you. In your life, the places where Jesus has come in and he's changed those things, you stand on that. And you stand on that, how? By girding your loins with truth. And remember, for a, for a Roman soldier, his, it, it was the belt of truth. It was where everything else in his armor connected back to. It was this point of truth that held everything else together and the breastplate of righteousness, the idea of doing the right thing. And when we're doing the right thing, that protects our hearts. It protects our lives. So, a couple words, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I hope you're not just coming to Sunday. I hope you're in the word every day. And the spirit is, is guiding you and you're involved in a group of people too. And maybe being discipled if you've never done that or in a group of people, because I can tell you where God's word comes alive, it's not usually, it can come alive alone, don't get me wrong. But generally my experience is where two or more are gathered, that the spirit comes and we, we begin to see things and share things and perspectives and, 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 oh, I never saw that before. And wow, that's really cool. And we share with one another and we grow together. And then we grow deeper in relationship to, with one another. 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, with gentleness, okay? Remember that. Sometimes I see some Facebook rants out there that I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> we need to stop that. With gentleness, we correct. We talk about these things. With respect, we do that. With love, we do that. We only do the truth in love because we care about people, because we want them to live in the freedom and the goodness that God has for them. Finally, brethren, this is for you. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It starts with truth. And it says, guard your head. Watch where you put your head. Watch what you're letting rent space in your head, right? Maybe limit your time on some of these social media things and the news and things like that. I talked to somebody the other day, and they said, you know what, man? I haven't watched the news for a week. I feel great, <laughs> right? We don't want to put our head in the stand, but we also don't want to be consumed by these things as well. We want to, we want to meditate on what's good and what's pure, what's true. And then we want to really realize that we've been called to stand in the gap in this place for the culture around us that is deceived, that doesn't know Jesus. It's the world, and the reason they're called the world out there in the Bible is because they're apart from Christ and they don't know him. And our job as the church is to, is to go out there to, to share that love, to stand firm on truth. Why? So we can be right? So we can show up? No. Because we understand and know that there's goodness there that there's life there, that God has good things for those who follow close to him. And when we, when we follow his precepts, we get to experience the blessings. You see, God's love for each and every one of us is unconditional. When you were the most ashamed of you, God didn't love you less. And when you were the most proud of you, he didn't love you more. His love for you has never, ever changed. But I can tell you this, his promises are conditional. We, we, we can't live life however we want. We can't do it just in complete contradiction to God and his word and think that there won't be consequences in our lives. It's just not the truth. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It's just the, it's, it's the effect. You see, you cannot break God's law. You can't break the law of gravity. We try. I used to, I've tried a lot of times. And you know what happened? I suffered the consequences of trying to break the law of gravity, right? You can't break God's law. You can push up really hard against it and suffer the consequences of pushing up hard against it, but it stands firm because it's truth. So let's remember, what is the call of the church? What has God called us to do is to stand on truth and to tell this world around us about the love and the hope of Jesus. And when we start to, to deal with difficult issues or hard things, we want to do it in the utmost respect and kindness and consideration, because I can promise you the things that we're going to talk about, there are people in here that are either struggling with those things or know people who are struggling with those things. And that's the truth. And so we don't want to be unkind about any of these things, but we also have to believe and understand and know that the truth of God's Word creates a new creation in us. It changes us. It regenerates us, the Bible says. It takes what was old and it makes it new. And I can tell you personally, the day I quit believing that, I'm just gonna go to the mountain or the lake or something on Sunday. But I know that that's the truth. You know how I know that's the truth? is because God came and he changed everything about my values. He changed everything about the way that I see the world. He changed my identity. He changed my purpose. He changed the way that I see the world around me and how to live in the middle of it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you know us and love us. I thank you that your love is totally uncontested, that it's never changed and that it never will change. 
and that your truth is just good, that it's meant to, for the flourishing of all people, that, Lord, you know how that we should live, and you proclaim that and tell us that, and, Lord, help us as the church to recognize that change in the world around us begins with change inside of this church. It begins with our hearts agreeing with your truth and, 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 and saying that, Lord, you're right, and it being our deepest desire to follow and, and, and to pursue holiness and, and, the, and the, the high calling that you put on us, Lord. And we thank you that you give us grace and in the areas and the times in our lives where we fall short and we mess up and we live in total and complete disobedience that you, you don't cut us off there. It doesn't mean that you don't love us. You, you pick us up and you restore us and you, you say, hey, uh, give it another shot. You're the God of 575th chances, Lord, and I'm so grateful for that because I fall short each and every day. But Lord, I'm thankful that, that there's this place that I can continue to look, that I don't have to try to uh, change the bar or lower the bar, but I can continue to be encouraged by you to jump over this bar. You're, 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 you're the greatest coach we could ever have. You're our greatest cheerleader that says, come on, I know you guys can do this. I know you can live in the life that I purchased for you. I know that you can live in the freedom that I purchased for you. So, Lord, may we be those people. May we live in the life and the freedom and the goodness, Lord, that you've purchased for us. May we be a, a people led by your spirit, Lord, empowered, emboldened by your spirit. And may we recognize that we hold a message of truth that the world needs to hear. And may we do it in love and kindness and grace. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.